Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that in this journey we make through this year, you are not only teaching us how you cause fruitfulness to happen in our lives, but you are enacting that fruitfulness as we respond to you. We are under no illusion that just by applying the Word of God, we can get that. We believe that you, in our weakness, even in our brokenness, can bridge that gap and open us up to the real substance of what you're talking about. And so once again, we throw ourselves at your mercy and we trust in you that you have not brought us here for random things, but for appointed and intentional God-given gifts. So we ask you that you would open our hearts, open our minds, tear down the scales, remove the blinkers, so that somehow, not by our own intelligence, but by your own grace, you would administer the word to us in such a way that we will know that we know that we know what you are saying without any shadow of doubt. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, if you can turn with me to Genesis chapter uh, 13, we will continue our series. Uh, we saw in Isaiah chapter 51, uh, Isaiah speaks to the people of God and he says, um, Look to Abraham, look to the rock from which you were hewn, and Abraham and Sarah who bore you. For when he was but one, I blessed him and I increased him. Remember that? When he was but one, I blessed him and I, and I increased him. And what God say, is saying through that is that um, he is actually multiplying us. He's multiplying something qualitative. Yeah? He's not just making us lots of people or making us lots of things, but he's actually multiplying the life that he gave, the supernatural life that he gave, the blessed life that he gave, the covenantal life he gave to Abraham and us as well. We are of that rock. And there are many places in Scripture, Psalm 87, so many other places where God says, there's a distinctive qualitative thing that I'm doing that's not like anything else. And your DNA is supposed to be that from that. What you're going to reproduce and what you're going to multiply is that stuff. You're not just going to multiply protoplasm and, 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 and flesh and blood. You're going to multiply something qualitative that is actually born not from this world but from, from heaven. And so what God is speaking about for us is a fruitfulness that has to do with the, the multiplication of God things in our lives in such a way that people's lives will be multiplied. Amen? And so that's what we've been talking about. We've been, we've been, we've been, we've been following a theme in which God is speaking to us through this year about fruitfulness. And if you feel that you've not been fruitful spiritually, never fear. Because God is here to do that. Amen? At the end of this year, we will celebrate by December 31st or whatever it is, 
the fruit that God has brought into our life. So I am earnestly believing that what we're talking about will be fruitful. I, it is my earnest belief that what we are talking about will, be ha- will happen by the grace of God. Come back and, on Den- December 31st and tell me whether it's true or not. Okay? But I, I, I hazard a guess that God is going to do that in our lives if we would follow Him, whatever He's saying. All right, that was enough. And pillars is part of that. Now, let's, let's look at uh, chapter 13. I won't have time to revise or go over. You know, I, I realize that in Malaysia, when you use the word, you revise for exam, what we mean is to study for an exam. And I found out when I was here that revise here means sort of uh, quite a different thing. Yeah. Anyway, I will not go over what we talked about before, but we will continue. Okay, let's have a look at that. Um, Abraham had separated from Lot, his nephew. Yeah? And uh, when God called Abraham, uh, God said, go from this place and uh, leave your family and your, your kindred and your father's house. And we have this little tag along in which it says, and Lot went with him. It's really funny how God says, I'm, on, I'm calling you. And then there are a few tag alongs that have that come with us, that may be people, that may be, but, there may, but we spoke about the fact that last Sunday, we spoke about the fact that Lot could be a, a certain qualitative thing that, that's, a, that's, a, that's in us, that comes from our past, or comes from where we, our people, or some, something like that. And, uh, and what happens is that the first thing that he does is that he separates us from that Lot dimension that's in us. Yeah, if you would like to um, go over that, that message, you can actually uh, go online and, and find it. Okay. Verse 8 then, let's, let's start from that. And Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And verse 10, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. And those of you who were here last Sunday, you have a little bit of a spoiler because you know what Zoar was, right? Lot ended up in Zoar and Zoar ended up destroyed. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So lots of foreshadowing there. Verse 11, so, so Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other, and Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while the Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and they separated, and moved his tent as far as Sodom. So Lot settled among the cities of the valley of the Jordan, and moved his tent as far as Sodom, now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, notice how God spoke to him, only after Lot separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. So both Abraham and Lot lifted up their eyes, right? And both saw different things. 
the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Wow, that's amazing, right? So Abram moved his tent and came settled and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which were at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So both moved their tents. It's almost as if Lot was on a trajectory moving this way, and Abraham was on a trajectory moving this way. Lot settled in the, in the cities of, of the valley and moved his tent towards Sodom. And Abraham moved to the, the hill country and moved his, sense toward, his tent towards the oaks. Interesting. There's something about lifting your eyes that strikes me as I read this passage. Lifting up your eyes. I think lifting up your eyes is physical, but there's also another dimension about lifting up our eyes, and that has to do with the eyes not only of our physical body, but also the eyes of our imagination. The lifting of eyes has to do with the lifting of ourselves to all our hopes and our best version of ourselves. True? The, eye, the, kind of the, the lifting of eyes has to do with our aspiration. And both Abram and Lot lifted up their eyes. When Lot lifted up his eyes, what he saw was Sodom. He saw the valleys of, uh, of, uh, of, the, of the Jordan. And as he lifted up his eyes, he saw the, his, his own vision of his life. His own vision of his best life. And that vision of his best life was a vision that was consistent of what he saw and what seemed the best? His vision of his life, his best life, had to do with Sodom. The fruitful valley of the Jordan and the city, the cities that actually they consisted of. Lot's vision consisted of what he knew, what he could see, and what was there. Yeah? What, he was, what was there. That's his aspirations, we see when we lift up our eyes, we sometimes see what our aspirations, our visions, and our beliefs are in that kind of seeing, yeah? the lifting up of eyes. So when Lot lifted up his eyes, what he saw was not only what was there, but was what was his what his imagination veered towards, yeah? That was what we see. In some ways, when we lift up our eyes, we not only see something that's objective out there, but we see ourselves. We see a reflection of ourselves. The lens of our heart causes us to lift up our eyes to those, thi those things that are in our heart, really, yeah? And they find, they find a, a, a correlative in the things that are out there, yeah? So in that sense, Lot's religion was determined by what was in his heart rather than what was from God. Lot was not a serious follower of God. 
He was following the lifting up of his eyes and he was following what he considered to be the best case scenario for his life, his own aspiration. And that is the kind of thing. But it says here, verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zohar. So there's something about that lifting of eyes that not only fixes upon something, but it moves in a certain direction. And the writer of Genesis, I believe it's Moses, says that it moved towards Zohar. Now Moses well knows this spoiler, that Zohar was going to be the place where the Lord was going to end up actually... Not really after, after Zohar. Zohar itself got destroyed. Zohar's, the meaning of Zohar is little. Lot had a big vision for himself, but he ended up diminished by that vision. And where that vision was going, because it was not a vision that came from God, but it came from his own imagination, his own aspirations, his own idea of what's, a, what's, what's the best life for, for, for me, moved in the direction of Zohar. Before... Sodom was destroyed, that Moses says. So he's, he's already telling us a lot in, in that when he's saying that there is something about the things that we lift up our eyes to that can actually end up Zohar or it can end up in the hill country in the mountains. And so you see this contrast between Lot and, and Moses. I want to put it to you that actually when we lift up our eyes, we really know who, what's, what's, what's going on inside us. Yeah? When we lift up our eyes, we know really what's, what's going on inside us. And that is the content of our imagination. Um, all right. And so as he did that, he settled among the cities of the valley and moved the tent as far as Sodom. Then verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after he had separated from Lot, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for the land that I see, you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. It's interesting that God only spoke to him about his vision when he lifted up his eyes after he separated from Lot. There is something about seeing and knowing and seeing with the eyes of our imagination things that are true, that can only happen when we separate ourselves from our own fleshly desires, our own fleshly imaginations, our own dreams. Yeah? Sometimes what happens is that when we, uh, God puts his hand upon us and he wants to make us fruitful, he puts in certain components that are essential to fruitfulness. The component that I'd like to talk about today is knowing. Knowing. Knowing God. Knowing things from God. Because out of that knowing, you are going to overcome fears. You're going to overcome your own um, debilitating um, anxieties. You're going to overcome your own particular tendencies. I speak that for myself as well. There is something about knowing that's essential to becoming fruitful because Fruitfulness will depend upon you knowing something of God so deeply that your knowledge of that is stronger than all the lies that the devil will give to you. 
this battle that you and I are facing for fruitfulness is not a battle in which we are, going to, we are just going to passively receive that fruitfulness of God. God just dropped things from heaven. That fruitfulness is a fruitfulness of walk with God that will determine whether you will know God, I will know God, know things about God, or not. I'm not talking about receiving information. I'm, receive, I'm talking about what happens when we lift up our eyes and the deep knowing, the deep bedrock knowing, the deep things that are inside us will show themselves to be either solid or they are just mush. You may have a lot of Bible knowledge, but the inside of you, the actual knowing part of you is mush. And so what God's going to do is that He will cause us, when we lift up our eyes and see the content of our soul, we will either see mountains and God and hear God's voice, or we will just see our best life or our best dreams. And I put it to you that Abraham had dreams. The dream centered on Lot. Lot was his dream. Because he and, and, and Sarah wanted to be fruitful and wanted to be fertile in the, in, in the land and knew very well that he could not have a son or could, could not have any children, his dream centered on Lot. That's why Lot went with him. The center, the locus of his dream, the focus of his dream was Lot. It's a big deal for Abraham to separate from Lot because Lot was colored everything that he saw. All his hopes, all his capabilities in life depended upon Lot. As Paul Simon's song, all my hopes depend upon you, all my dreams depend on you. True. And so what's really important is this. He got his dreams from culture because the culture allowed him to be able to call the Lot his son. The culture also allowed him to have uh, uh, um, uh, uh, I won't call it a concubine, a sort of a stand-in wife if his wife was, 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 was uh, um, barren. And that's why he had Hagar. The culture allowed him certain allowances to build his dream around when he did not have the building, building blocks or the building materials. And so Abraham had built his life around Lot. And Lot went with him because of the fact that it was culturally appropriate for a man who could not have his, 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 his dream son to actually adopt a nephew. So Lot was his son. But you find that Lot was not serious with God. He was, as, as Cindy used the, the, the term, he was uh, what uh, Christine Smith calls a... Uh, 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 kind of a, a person whose religion was moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic because he makes up his, his, his legalistic do's and don'ts. It's therapeutic because it's all about himself, feeling good about himself. And it's deism because of the fact that he did believe that there is a God, but that God really, really doesn't do that much. And he's, he's kind of deus absconditus, like he's absconded. He's not really there. He might as well be an agnostic or a atheist. But as far as his lot was concerned, God is there. He's there. He doesn't bother me. And that's, that's the way I like it. I'll call him whenever I need him. But the center of his religion is his own experience of life, hopefully good life. 
his dreams, his hopes, his aspirations, his best life had to do with that kind of self-centered life. Lot would easily pass off as a Christian today. I would put it to you that he was not actually because a Christian is someone that cannot be defined by his decisions or her decisions. It can only be defined by whether God is there, whether God rules or not. It has less to do whether you signed on. Or, it has less to do with whether you signed on the dotted line and made your decision for Christ, as it has to do with the fact that Christ is in you, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so what happened is that Abraham lifted up his eyes, and as he lifted up his eyes, he saw things that he could not see before. So may I, may I suggest to you that knowing starts when God speaks to you. And He speaks to you because of the fact that you've come to a place where you could look from, it says here, from where He was. Abraham looked from where He was. After He had separated from? Lord, can you see this? What's happening is that knowing happens after we've separated out from our own dreams, from our own dependences from our own vision of Sodom, of, of, of vision that does not come from God, it comes from somewhere else. Sodom might, may very well have been a great place. Who knows? I mean, we call Sodom all kinds of things. We even have an English word called sodomy. And yet, at the same time, what Sodom really is, is our vision without God. That's all. It may be, your Sodom may be Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, where Jesus was born. He was born there, right? Bethlehem, whatever. But Abraham, it says here, Then the Lord said to Abraham, After the Lord had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look. Oh, I love that. I love that. Because what, has, what happened is this. There are times in which when God is wanting to make us fruitful, it looks like we are going to be diminished. The, when the very person upon whom your dreams have been placed has separated from you, and you, instead of being more fruitful, seem to be less fruitful. Yeah? Abraham had no more lot. He was diminished. But remember, Isaiah chapter 50, 51 says, when he was but one, when he was but one, I began to um, bless him and increase him. And sometimes God just reduces, reduces us to just ourselves. Can't depend upon people. No matter how good they are. And sometimes we have to go through this. I have a sense that many of us this year have been going through this. 2022 may have been one of those places in which Lot separated from you. That happens to me on very regular occasions, I must say. It is only after that that we begin to see, we can hear. Suddenly, there's the blinkers are taken off. We've been separated from that which has, which has imposed itself. I was talking to some, some, someone a few days ago and, and saying, sometimes there's nothing wrong with our eyes. It's just that our glasses are just fogged up. They are messed up, you know. 
I remember one time I was looking at something in the stream, look at someone's face in the stream, and I was wondering why that person suddenly had a mole. <laughs> You're laughing because you know where I'm going with that, right? Because I realized there was a bit of dirt on my screen, and I scratched it out, and lo and behold, the, the mole was lost. Sometimes our vision of things has need something to be removed. You, you, need the, you need the dirt to be removed. And God, God spoke to him after that. There are some things that we can't progress in until we've set about to obey what God has told us before. You cannot have intimacy with God unless you set aside time for Him. You cannot go deeper with people unless you pay the price with them. You haven't paid a price to have a deep relationship. You cannot talk about intimacy. You can talk about friendliness. Friendliness is something that we, is cheap. But intimacy is a whole different thing. Trust is a different thing. Knowledge on the inner, on, inner side of things is, 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 is not cheap. It's expensive. Trust in God is very expensive. Because you have to either decide to know that you are going to put your whole uh, prospects in Him and lean upon Him and rest in Him completely, just like you're sitting on a chair, right? Everything's on there. You have no plan B. You can only trust, experience trust when you've had that. Until you had that, everything's academic. Everything's in the realm of thought. Even a word that you've got is in the realm of thought. Even the verse, the chapter that you got in your devotions is in the realm of thought until you get into it and you trust it. And so what happens is that in intimacy with God and uh, the divine human relationship that God was wanting for Abraham required something from him that would cause him to really know that God was trustable. Yeah? It, or else you don't know it. You can trust with all your emotions and you'd sing all the songs about trust and, and do all that and, 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 and work yourself up to it until I really, really trust. But that's not trust. That's a prelude to trust. But then when we come to a situation where you are forced to depend upon God and there's no insurance plan, then you go through tremendous anxiety. And when you go through this tremendous anxiety and fear, to all intents and purposes, you're just one hair's breath from the total disaster. And then when God comes through, then you know at that hair's breath point, He's untrustable. Until that actually happens, until you obey the Word of God and, 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 and take the, the, the step into that, we will not actually know trust. You can receive 150 words about trust, but you don't actually trust. You can talk the talk of trust, but you don't actually trust. Now, fruitfulness has to do with the knowledge that we get from God developing into something really solid, something really hard, that's harder than the enemy. And so, we are talking about how we can come to that knowing and so, well, the first step that we saw with Abraham had to do with the fact that he had to separate from Lot so that Lot, who is his whole dream, collapses. Now, Lot put his trust in what he could see, which was Sodom, right? 
And the locus of his trust was external. It was not upon God, but upon that thing. And everything that he did had to do with the politics of Sodom, what goes on in Sodom, the government of Sodom, the, the, the prospects of Sodom, the, the price of real estate in Sodom, the taxes in Sodom, the people in Sodom, the neighbors, the neighborhood and all that. All that had to do with Sodom. Sodom dis- destroyed. It came to an end. And it trended towards Zohar, which, mean, which means little, diminished. Small, pusillanimous. Yeah? It trended towards that. So Lot had no prospects, actually. As far as Lot was concerned, there was nothing there for him, even though he could see it. Abram had to develop something that I know we all would like to develop, but I've got to tell you, that development is costly. And so as Abraham began to receive revelation from God, it says, where after Lot separated him, God spoke to him, yeah? Oh, isn't that amazing? Now let's see how God spoke to him. After Lot had separated from him, God said, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Okay? Look from the place that you have come to, more or less. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. He did not know this until he separated out from Lot. When I was growing up, I also had my own best version of myself. I wanted to be a... I wanted to get a doctorate in English literature. Interestingly, I was interested in American, modern American literature. I'd done, I was working on a thesis on Saul Bellow. How many of you knew Saul, Saul Bellow? Herzog. You won a Nobel Prize for that. My idea uh, when I was in college, my... Uh, uh, the dean said, look, we'll send you to do your master's and your PhD to the States. So my first possible encounter with the States was to do a PhD in the University of Illinois. And uh, so I had that scholarship going. The other thing that I wanted to do was to play music. Because a lot of my time I, I, I played in kind of gigs and all that. So I just wanted to develop music and do my PhD and do music in church. That was my vision. My vision was based upon what I knew about myself. And my vision was about what I enjoyed in myself. I created a vision for myself a dream for myself that was based upon what I knew of myself. i got to tell you, I did not know myself. <laughs> God knew me better. And then I joined this church that destroyed everything. Because I did not play any music. They, they thought my music was just spurious. And as far as going to do a PhD, that's a bunch of baloney as far as they're concerned. They're anti-intellectual. They're also anti-the arts. Of course, I thought I had the arts, right? (laughs) But the Lord had called me into that church. He had called me into the church. I should have chosen a church that was a match to my gifts, don't you think? then I would have been more satisfied. 
I could, the church could be the best, make me the best version of myself. I should have gone to a church that would encourage the arts and do all that. But somehow God didn't do that for me. I ended in this church that it seemed like back in the dark ages. It's all blood and guts. I'm a, I know I'm, I'm exaggerating it. But that was the place that I grew. That's the place where I just died. But there's something that happened to me when that happened. I began to find that I could hear the voice of God. Before that, I wanted many people to cry, come to Christ. I would, I would share with them about Christ. One by one, they would backslide. And it seemed like never I would never be able to convince them to stay with God. Many stayed, but many left. And I felt my own importance. I felt my whole, I felt impotent in ministry. I felt like I couldn't do a solid work in people's lives. And I felt very frustrated and I felt that perhaps there's something wrong with me. And two women in college came up to me and they said, Michael, we have a concern for you. Ooh. God doesn't care about your gift, what you can give to him. He wants you. And they, and they said, you will never grow further than that until you let it go and let God do whatever he wants. It shook me to the core. Two women came to me and just said that and then left. They ran away. They had to obey God to tell me that. They found me a bit intimidating, but they obeyed God. And that word that they spoke, shaking, trembling, cut me to the heart and set me on a whole new path. And I said, I don't know. I said to God, I don't know myself. But it was at this point that the Lord spoke to me about joining their church, which was I don't know how to describe it. Everything I did not want a church to be. But the Lord spoke to me and He says, I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to strip the layers of nice stuff that you have built around yourself until you can hear my voice. And that's what happened. The moment I joined, suddenly something took place. A little bit like what I, I think Abraham, Abraham experienced. In the past, I would speak and speak and speak and talk and talk and talk and talk and nothing would happen. Now, when I would share my testimony, I was, I was blown away by the fact that people would just come up weeping and give their lives to serve God in full-time ministry. There are literally hundreds of people who are in full-time ministry due to something that I said, and most of it was not that articulate. I used to stammer tremendously, terrible, terrible stammering. And uh, when they asked me to share something, I would ask, how much time do I have to speak for? And when they said, two minutes is enough, I thought, oh, that's, the, the, that's too long. But God seemed to work through that. Something switches 
when there's a break there, you know? And so Abram, Abram, was given a whole vision, a new vision. In verse, verse, verse um, 14, it says, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. And then he says in verse seven, 17, Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So what God is telling him is high level. He says, look, all this land that you can see is all yours. And Abraham can hardly take it in. He can't compute all that because of the largeness of God's vision. And then God says, now now you start walking in this land. And as you walk, you will see only this much, whatever you're walking, you're, you're, you're seeing. And in the, particular, in the particular things that you're walking in amongst, in this mountain, down this stream, down this valley, you... I'm going to give this to you. Walk in it in such a way that the particular things that you are going through now, in this present moment, in the small, small places that, you are, that, that this whole land consists of, you will have this. And what happened is that Abraham believed God. He got it as a revelation. He knew it. He knew it not only in the big picture, but he knew it in the, in the, in the daily grime of walking through the land. It was particular as well as it was big picture as well. Now, most of us are big picture. Most of us see things big picture. But when it comes to the daily grind of it, we lose our vision. Isn't it? You can believe that God has brought you into the, into the church or brought you into the faith and all that, and you can, you can, you can rejoice in the big things. But when you come to the, the grime of things, the, the daily interactions that are, 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 are grumbly, that are granular, you just can lose your vision. But what God said is this, I'm going to take you into particulars. I'm going to take you into particular interactions. I'm going to take you into places in which you're going to see your own weakness. You're going to see that when you climb this mountain, it's not just so easy to do that. You'll, you'll, you'll be huffing and puffing. In the, in, in the midst of these things, stupid things are going to trip you up. Stupid interactions are going to trip you up. Ridiculous and random things are going to trip you up. People are going to hurt you. You are going to hurt people. You're going to do all this stuff. And in the midst of your humanity, and you see your own brokenness, your own stupidity. The Word says, I will give you this land. You will know it in the particularities, the grime and the muddy water that you're walking through in this land. And so God, sometimes what He does is this. He says, I'm going to cause you to know this stuff. So that when I give you big pictures, I give you words about all these things and all that, when you go through the, to the grime of things, you will still know it. You will still know it. You will not just know it in, up in your head, and, but when you come to the grime and the, and the, and the, and the conflict of life, you are actually gonna, everything is going to disappear from your mind and your heart becomes hardened. No, I'm going to cause you to, be, to experience me here because I'm going to cause you to know things. Other than that, all the big picture stuff, you don't know it yet. You have an idea, you heard it, but you don't know it yet. Knowing comes by a process whereby God actually puts the truth into you. Now, we understand that truth is not just truth of statements, right? Truth is not just true statements or factual statements. 
truth has to do with the solid reality of the thing. Right? St. Anselm Anselm says, there's the truth of things, the truth of statements, the truth of things has to do with the fact that this is a true thing. This is a real thing. It has solidity. This is truth in the sense that this is a real thing, right? The truth of it, it's, I hit it, it hits back at me, right? The truth of statements is things that we mostly call factual, facts. And then there's the truth of God. There's truth of God which has to do with the fact that truth as God has made it and puts it in you and created it from himself. To know is to know the truth. It is that truth that will set you free. Not facts. Not illumination from reading the Bible. That is not, not enough to set you free. The truth is the truth of God. He sets you free. Not Bible verses. Now the Bible verses can point you to that. And as you follow and obey the Word of God, it becomes true. Just like the new covenant of Christ inside us is true. But if you don't obey it, it is still true. It's just not true for you. It's not applicable to you. It doesn't work in you. Does that make sense? And so what we are wanting is to have the Word of God in us. That doesn't just mean Bible memorization. That is a part of it. There's a, there's a way in which by memorizing it, 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 it kind of marinates in us. But the, the truth of God comes when God gets into us, when it gets into us, and when it gets into us, the conviction of it becomes stronger than anything that we see. And so, I'm going to jump over an, uh, um, a chapter, chapter 14 and go into chapter 15, okay? When you go to chapter 15, uh, Abraham has just rescued um, a lot from the enemies. He has met Melchizedek. And, and before we go into chapter 15, he meets Melchizedek after the defeat of the, the Chaldeans, and he's rescued Lot. And he's met with two, two kings. One is the king of Sodom, and, the king, and then the other one is Melchizedek. The king of Sodom says, we are in chapter uh, 14, Verse 17, after his return from the, from the defeat of Kedolaomah and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shabai. That is the king's valley. And at the same time, around the same time, Melchizedek, another king, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Melchizedek is a theophany of God. Yeah, he's a theophany of God. So he represents Christ. We see this in uh, in uh, Hebrews. And the king of Sodom also came in verse twenty-one. He offered him a different, other juicy uh, opportunity. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to, the, to Yahweh God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made 
Abraham rich. And I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Anna, Eskol, and Mamre take their share. These are chieftains that, that, that came with him. And so, he's, Abraham's we're talking about knowledge, right? He comes to this place at this juncture and he meets the king of Sodom and the king of Sodom gives him everything that Sodom could give. Right? Everything that Abraham could want in the flesh. He is Lot's guy. He offers to him what Lot got. And Abraham is also confronted with Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is mysterious, it's strange, it's interesting. And he gives him bread and wine. Later in the New Testament, in Hebrews, we re- we, he, the writer of Hebrews refers us back to that. And Melchizedek is saying, I give, what I give you is different from the king of Sodom. What I give you is the ability to eat and take into yourself the truth of God. You get a chance to eat God, to have God in you, to have His fullness, His love, who He is in you. And Abraham has committed himself to God, so he takes from Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is a good picture of our communion, right? Because when we have communion, we are taking into ourselves not just bread and, and grape juice, we are taking into ourselves by faith Christ's life in us. Christ's life in us. C.S. Lewis, in The Weight of Glory, talks about God and beauty and beautiful things. And he says, the problem with us is this, we look at beautiful things and we long to mingle with them so that these beautiful things will not be just outside, but it can be inside us. We are on the wrong side of the door. We are outside of them. The beautiful things may look like they're looking in our direction, but they're looking way past us. They don't really care about us. We don't have, we have not been invited in. We may come or we can go. Nobody cares. But what we are looking for is to be able to mingle in so that these beautiful things or the truth of God can come on the inside of us so that we can be transformed by it. That is the longing of our heart. The longing of our heart is that the Word of God can become real in us that it becomes substance in us, can become our nature. Isn't that right? Until, until that happens, it's just Bible verses. It's just scriptures. You may even have heard, got a word from God. Until it becomes in you, until you take communion, and you allow it to be, be such that what, what Christ says, you eat of the bread, the, the, the body of the Son of God, and drink of, his fla- uh, drink of His blood, you have no part in me. And how true it is that so many of us as Christians, we live this lonely life on the wrong side of the door in which the truth of everything God says is true, but when we come to the land, when we come to the giants, when we come to the grime of things, we just can't apply it because it just, it just disappears from us because it's on the other side of the door. And Melchizedek was, comes to Abraham and says, if you choose me, if you choose God, you will not get Sodom, you will get me. You get God. And our longing, the longing in our heart is to have God on the inside of us. Not just as an inert kind of spirit, but as something that is living, that causes healing to take place, that causes miracles to take place in our life. 
We want not just a word from God, we want that word to become flesh and blood inside us. And so Abraham, he's already thinking, why, oh, I want this. Chapter 15. He comes and he's still barren. Lot is no longer with him. He's, he's, he's lotless. And he has a lot less. <laughs> oh dear, 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 dear. Grabbing at straws right there. Chapter 15. And so he comes and he has nothing. He comes to God. He's exhausted. And he says, God, I don't have your life inside me. I see it. I admire it. It's great. You told me all these promises. This will be your mind. This will be mine. In the grime, in the particularities, you'll be mine. I can walk up and down. But I still don't feel it. I don't, I don't have it. How will I know this is happening? So he comes to God with his questions. Verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be great. Abraham says, I've just spent myself to just rescue this useless nephew of mine who used to be my dream. Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my son of my house is Eliezer, the Damascus. It used to be Lot. Now I, now I have to have Eliezer as the heir. Culturally acceptable, but not preferred. In verse 3, Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted for him as righteousness. God says, and, and what we hear is that Abraham, somehow he heard this word, and something Lord, he believed. Which means not that he gave intellectual assent, but he says, Okay, I'm going to give up all my other insurance policies. You will be my first and last option committed himself, and God says, that's righteousness. Because Abraham was not just saying that, he was saying, I'm dedicating my life to living that way. I don't have a plan B. Then he said to him, I'm the Lord, verse 7, who brought you up out of the, from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And so here's Abraham. He's struggling with his anxieties, he's struggling with his doubts, his fears, and his knots. And verse 8, he says, O oh Lord God, how I am, am I to know that I shall possess it? How will I know? We're talking about knowing, right? We have to have a knowing that's stronger than all the naysayings that come against us. How will I know? Not only how will I believe, but how will I know to such an extent that that knowing will cause me to be able to do, step out on what seemed like impossible situations and see miracles happen. How will I know? I remember the, 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 the time when uh, Cindy and I had to leave our rental apartment in South Pasadena because the rent was too high. But we had no money in the bank. We had $1,000, that's all. And the Lord spoke to us, buy a house. We went for it and believed him. And I got many words like Isaiah chapter 65 and build houses, plant vineyards and all that. 
But when I met Marty, our, our, our um, financial guy, who was trying to work out the loan, and he was going to give us one of those jumbo loans. I, I think it's a jumbo loan. We felt like pretenders. But I had to know whether the word that I got was really a word from God or not. I had to know in my heart enough to be able to withstand it when Marty fell, uh, called, called us and says, Michael, we're trying to push your loan through. We just found out you have only $1,000 in your bank. You need at least 14000 And you have no money. I had to f- confront that. That's where knowing needs to happen. My knowing needed to be more solid than what he was telling, which was true. And so, when we have faced situations like that, we have to know that we know that we know that we know. How do we get to that place? Because if we don't get to that place, we will always turn back in the day of battle when we experience reality. And so, I told Marty, 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 I will have it by this date. Okay. That date came. Just before that date came, I got a call from my bank saying, just to inform you, someone has deposited $10,000 in your bank. A few hours later, another, we just want to let you know, someone has just deposited uh, $5,000 in your bank. Where did it come from? Somewhere in Luxembourg. We have no idea. We are not told people that we're wanting it. It is in this place that God does miracles in our lives. So God, so Abraham's saying, how will I know? It's nice to have all these words, but how will I actually know? How can my knowing be something that it doesn't come just because of the fact that I've analyzed it and I've, and I've, and I've kind of done the equations and I think, according to the best guess, that is what I see. And God gives us knowing. You don't know anything unless God shows it to you. We don't know anything. We know things. And of course, you know the philosopher David Hume who says, you don't actually know anything for sure. Because you can't, you can't be, 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 be certain about anything. There's nothing to vouchsafe your knowing. But the Bible tells us that we can know because God reveals these things to us. God gives us that knowing. Not only gives us a word, but He puts it inside us. He puts it in us. How, how did He do it? Let's have a look at it, okay? And then we're going to finish soon. So Abraham is saying, Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I know that I know that I know that I shall possess it? And God says in verse 9, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Remember, he's answering the question, how will I know? How does knowledge come? The knowing that I know that I know. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against each other. Because Abraham understood the, in the, the culture of that ancient Near East that this was a covenant that was being made between two. Yeah? And so he knew what to do. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. 
And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Now you are thinking, the writer of Genesis is digressing. He's actually not. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Really? Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain, not just know, but know for certain, that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, and I'll bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go up to your fathers in priests. Then you're thinking, right, he's really digressing. He's not. And you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Canaanites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. That's it. That's how you know. Huh? What? How did I? What? What? You lost me there. And I used to read this, and I think, what is going on here? Talk about diversions, right? Abraham's saying, how will I know? Right? You want to say, put these things up. You're going to make a covenant with me. And what you're going to do is that you're going to split all these animals in two. One side will be your side. The other side will be God's side. And then the presence of God will come like a fire in between and bring them together. Okay? Now first, you have to do that. You have to let me do the surgery with you. Let me split you apart. Let me do the work upon you. So that your knowledge is not based upon your own analysis or your own autonomy or your own observation. But you are dependent upon me. And you let me do my work upon you. You can't do it upon yourself. You can't heal yourself. You can't heal the blindness that's in you. You can't heal the lack of knowledge in you. Only I can do that. But I need to get into you. To split you apart. To actually cause me to, to enter into the split part where I can come in the middle. I will do that for you. And when that happens, Abraham not only knew, he entered into the spiritual realm and experienced what his children were. The children were going to experience tremendous darkness. And it says that Abram experienced that. The darkness came upon him. He didn't just know things because he saw it on TV. He didn't read, read about it or see it in a, even in a vision. He was in it. He was transported to more than 400 years later where the children of Israel, his own children, he could see them, he could feel them. He could feel their darkness. He was there. He was a kind of knowledge that was not just an intellectual knowledge, nor even an emotional knowledge, not, not even a knowledge that came because he was on psychedelic drugs. It was a knowledge that transported him in the spiritual realm into the, his children's experience. He knew that they were his children. Does that make sense? When God gives us knowledge, his knowledge is multi, multifaceted, multidimensional. He puts us in that in that situation. That's why when you get a word of knowledge, you don't get a word of knowledge just, just because God just puts sticker tape on you. He brings you into it. 
You travail into it. You enter into it. And what God was saying is, you really want to know? You really want to know? You got to come into me. Come into me and let me split you apart. Let me do a work in you. And when I do that work in you, you will know it in your heart. You'll know it feelingly. There'll be parts of you that know it that you don't even know are there. You start finding yourself, your hand just moves a certain way, your mouth moves a certain way, you say certain things you don't know, you don't know. Suddenly things come, come across your mind. You are in it. When you pray for your people in your land, you will feel their pain. You will be there because of the fact that I will take you into their experience. And when that happens, you will bear the burden of it and you will know, you will really know. You will know as I know in a small way. Amen? You'll not just be a do-gooder or doing things because it's the right thing morally to do. You will do it because you are there. You are in my place and I will put you in that situation. And that's how you will know. After that, Abraham didn't even have to, to worry about what knowing. Oh, I see. I get it. Because I'm in it. How can I not know? Amen? I believe that what God is wanting to do is to cause us to have new, a new knowledge. So when we talk about the people who know their God, display strength and do exploits, knowing is of that sort. It's more than just knowing Bible verses. It has to do with allowing the Lord to split our heart open and we say, Lord, I want to be you, your messenger in the land that you've given to me. Amen? You have to make a decision. Because ministry and the power of God is costly. Fruitfulness is costly because you have to give up what Lot wanted. You can't marry the two things. You can't merge Lot and Abraham into it. You have to separate out. And tell you a secret. You'll be amazed how much of things God gives you that you didn't envisage. You'll be amazed by the holidays that He'll give you. I don't know. I don't talk about that. Right now, we say, I want what you have, Lord. I want what Melchizedek did, not the King of Sodom. Amen? I want to uh, invite you, bow your head, prayer. There are many Christians who feel barren or fruitless in spiritual things. They've received words. They know the Bible. And they know what they're supposed to believe, but somehow it's hard to believe. Constantly feeling on the outside. Today, many are asking, how can I know? And God says, you can know for certain. So much so that certainty Mark your life. You're not operating out of your head or what your physical eyes see. But God allows your spirit to take over and allows us to know things from God that are sure. It doesn't involve exercises in believing. It just involves surrendering to God. Some of us were hoping 
we can finish this life and then we can go somewhere else and that be fulfilled. You put your faith in Sodom or in the Jordan Valley. All that will pass away. But I believe that God is giving us a word for the days ahead of us. Everything that Lot invested in looked good, but it was vulnerable to the Chaldeans, was vulnerable to God's judgment. And it tended towards Zoar, the diminished place of fleeing. But God has better store for us. Praise you, Jesus. You are the potter, Lord. We are the clay. We thank you. You don't desire, don't need us to do anything special, but to surrender ourselves to the things that you're doing in our hearts right now. We don't have to do anything heroic or impossible. But here we are. We just before you right now, not being able to help ourselves. I just sense God wants us to know that he knows the places in our heart that are split open and that have been split open. Maybe we not know what to do and God's saying, let me just come in right there. Let me just come in. I will take the pain and I will give you a comfort that is more than comfort. It will begin to actually turn into a knowledge and an experience that you've never had before. Nothing can give that to you like I can, the Lord says. So trust me with your heart. I believe the Holy Spirit is here to mold us, to make us, even to break places of a hardness and to reveal himself to us. Scatter away fears, anxieties, doubts, And it happens over time. But today, we allow him to be the potter and we the clay. The moment we say to him, I want to do your will. I let go of the valley of Jordan. I let go of Lot. I want your dreams for me. You will give me your best life. I don't know what it is fully. But you have it for me. I trust you. You know what will happen? Suddenly you can't find yourself trusting. Suddenly you find yourself believing. Because not because you tried to believe, but because something got cleared. Something got split open. And God got on the inside. You and me. 
have thine own way. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter and I am the clay. Mold me and make me after your will while I'm waiting. Yield it in. We welcome and surrender ourselves to your working. In Jesus' name, amen.